Welcome to Technado. Welcome back to another episode of Technado. I'm your host, Sophie Goodwin, joined by the one and only Don Pizzette. Don, how are you today? I am doing great. Uh, I got a crazy news cycle this time around. It's like the world is on fire. Everyone got hacked. Uh, we could just stop right there. Like That's, a, that's the headline. <laughs> Everybody's hacked. Give up. That's the episode. Thank you all for joining us, and we will see you next week on Technado. Now, so in addition to Don, of course, we have Dan. Dan, how are things on the other side of the table? I am five by five. Thank you very much. Feeling good. Ready to do some of this uh, here tech news on the Technado. I have never heard that expression before. Five by five. Five by Down five. Pipe, a, five by yeah, five. Yeah, it's a military huh. thing. That that is a new one. For or me. if you had watched Aliens, like we assigned to you last <laughs> week, right? We wouldn't be having this discussion right now. You know. I find good help these days. For Sophia, you say that like I. It might not work out. (laughs) (laughs) I'll add it to the list of things that I need to do. Aliens, like tonight, (laughs) along with the entire X Files series, and yeah, there's a lot of things that I need to catch up on. Aliens is a quick fix, though. Yeah, it's two hours and you're done. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You know, yeah, we'll X-Files plan. is 11 seasons. I'll plan that. <laughs> That'll be my weekend. I'll watch Aliens and go to bed with Nightmares, and it'll be fine. So, uh, but that's that's not what we're going to do right now. I'm not going to watch <laughs> Aliens here in the middle of our podcast. We'll save that. That's on my own time. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into some of the tech news we've got this week. Like Don said, lots going on. So first up, we're going to talk about some things going on in the world of Microsoft. This article comes to us from Tom's Hardware. It says, Windows 11 watermarks showing up on unsupported systems. So it looks like Microsoft is now trying to urge users that, are running Windows 11 on unsupported hardware to either go ahead and upgrade those systems or downgrade back to Windows 10, or otherwise you're going to have to deal with that that slightly annoying watermark there. Yeah, you know, if we go back in time to, well, I guess it was 2021, when we were reporting on Windows 11 coming out, uh, it was a little controversial because they had some new hardware requirements. They said that you had to have a TPM 2.0, and a lot of people didn't have that, especially on desktops, right? A lot of desktops just didn't have TPMs. Most laptops did, but but not all. And so people are like, well, I, I want to upgrade to Windows 11. Uh, there was also a CPU generational requirement. You had to have like a Gen... 10 or gen i don't remember the exact requirement but you know you had to have a newer cpu and a lot of people didn't and so it wasn't long before we found out you could just bypass it you could skip those requirements jump right in and install windows 11 and guess what it worked just fine (laughs) and so plenty of people did it but we said back at the time yeah it works you can get windows 11 installed but we don't know what's going to happen in the future microsoft could pull the plug and say you don't get updates anymore or they could do what they just did this week, which is to make a watermark display, like the old activation watermark. If you weren't activated, your wallpaper would go black and it would have a message on there. You're not activated. You're obviously a criminal. Well, I just made that my wallpaper. (laughs) That's the default. (laughs) Yeah. But now they have a a little watermark that appears just to let you know, hey, your system does not meet the minimum requirements for Windows 11 and you should do something about it, like buying new hardware. Correct me if I'm wrong. But they put some stupid little barking dog that basically complains at you nonstop until you update to <laughs> Windows 11. So you 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 go through with it, right? You kiss the ring, you bow the knee, you upgrade, and then they go, "Hey, here's the thing: that shit computer that you're using, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't really like living here. So once you go on back to Windows 10, well, I'll just let bygones be bygones." <laughs> That was one thing that kind of confused me about this article reading through it is I was like, I feel like something's missing here because if if it's not forcing you to make any changes, it's just saying, well, if you don't make changes, this watermark is going to stick around. But if 
the reason that it's telling you to go back to Windows 10 is because, well, you don't have the system requirements for Windows 11. How are you running Windows 11 in the first place? Yeah. You know, some people have willingly bypassed those requirements, right? And they don't recommend you do that because the, the new features, the reason they want you to have that newer CPU, the reason they want you to have a TPM is for security features. So if you're bypassing that and jumping into Windows 11, you're missing some security features. That's obviously not something Microsoft wants. But, you know, I have a unique story here because this happened to me uh, just a couple of weeks ago where I, I logged into my computer at home. So it was on my personal computer and I had the watermark. It, it showed up. And and so like I'm, I'm in one of the early rings. And so it, it just popped up and I was able to see it. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. I, I meet the requirements. I had a ninth generation Intel and I've got uh, a TPM on board on my motherboard. And so I, I meet the requirements. I, I upgraded to Windows 11 and things were happy for months and months. And all of a sudden, I got the watermark. And what what I found out happened is we had a power outage, and I didn't think anything about it because the computer just booted right back up. But my my BIOS reset, and so I lost my BIOS settings. Now I didn't worry too much about that because modern BIOS will just like automatically detect your memory and hard drives. Remember the old days, you had yeah. to tell it, "This is my boot drive. Here's how much RAM I have." It's not like that anymore. So I ignored it. Well, what I didn't realize is that apparently in my BIOS. The uh, the TPM is disabled by default, which seems like a dumb default. Yeah. <laughs> so, I always love these opt out of security features. Yeah, they are my favorite. Apparently, on this one, I have to opt in. Listen, we got all these great security controls built into this amazing rig. You just spent a bunch of money on. None of it's turned on, by the way. So this one's not Microsoft's <laughs> fault. I have an ASUS motherboard yeah. at home, and it just defaulted to the TPM being off. So. One day, my computer met the requirements, and the next day, it didn't. And huh. honestly, I wouldn't have noticed if I didn't get the watermark mm. on the screen. Because to me, the computer ran the same way. I didn't think twice about it. So the watermark actually helped me to say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Now, it also helped me realize, I was like, wait a minute, if the TPM is turned off, how did I? How did it unlock BitLocker? Like, how did it That's a good question. Turns out BitLocker wasn't on. On my home computer, it's my home so, computer. So one little one little power outage, and Don's also all his security goes out the window. That's apparently <laughs> the case, and and I would like to think that I would know better, right? <laughs> it's kind of my job, but it it does show that it's really hard for the average end user to stay secure when I'm screwing it up. <laughs> Crazy. Like, so, maybe this is a good reason we should all just use laptops, right? It's got battery power. <laughs> you got to worry about it. So I had to jump into my BIOS. I had to turn TPM on, uh, and then I had to turn BitLocker on. And so next time I have a power outage, then, uh, well, I don't know. I won't be able to I was expecting it. you to say, I just threw it away and bought another one. <laughs> Actually, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't throw it away. See? I'm I knew it. I knew it. it. <laughs> so, so it can happen Sounds to the like, best of us. This is broken. Get another one. <laughs> Don Pizzette. He's just like us. Yeah. That's so reassuring. He forgets his password, he throws the machine away, he gets a new one. <laughs> <laughs> well, switching over from the world of Microsoft into Linux, uh, we've got an article here from Pharonix. It says, Ubuntu flavors slash spins will no longer be able to install Flatpak by default. So it looks like Ubuntu wants to focus on Debian packages and Snap, which I think is their own packaging format. But what does this mean for users that are already using Flatpak or want to continue using it? All right, so um, we've talked about this intermittently over the years on, on TechNado. There is a there's a battle raging in the world of Linux between Flatpak and uh, Snaps. And usually, I think I've been pretty clear what I've, I've spoken on this in the past. They both suck, and I wish they didn't like, exist. Snaps all the way. <laughs> no way, they're both terrible. I wish yeah. <laughs> neither of them existed. Uh, if you're not familiar with Flatpaks and Snaps, 
when you install an application on Linux, there are shared libraries. And this is the same thing on Windows and the same thing on Mac OS, right? They're, they're shared libraries that more than one application can use. That's why they call them shared. Well, you run into a problem that's a little more visible in Linux than in other OSs, which is you might have a software package that's dependent on a library being a particular version, and another software package is depending on that same library being a different version. And so now you don't really have much of a choice. You got to store more than one version of a library and that wreaks havoc with your update system. So automatic updates through things like apt and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, yum, whatever. People wonder why Linux has a hard time getting yes. desktop support. <laughs> so the solution uh, allegedly yeah. are these snap and, and flat packs, which what they do is they take an application and they package it with its own copy of the libraries it's dependent on. Well, on a positive, that means an application has all the libraries it needs. On a negative, you're now dependent on that software vendor to update those libraries. And if you think they do a good job, you are wrong because <laughs> they don't. And so it's really just a way to take updating those libraries out of your control and put it off on somebody else who doesn't doesn't give two craps about your security. <laughs> so, so they're both bad technologies, but it really heated up this week because Ubuntu, they're, they're pushing snaps. That's their technology they came up with. And they basically said, look, all of our alternative spins of, of Ubuntu, because there's Kubuntu and Xubuntu and Lubuntu and, and all the ones that have different uh, desktop environments. And they said, for you guys, you can support Flatpak if you want, but your default install has to support snaps and Flatpak has to be disabled. In other words, the user has to willingly install Flatpak in order to have that support. So they have thrown the gauntlet down and those alternate spins, they've, they've all already signed on. They don't have a choice. They can't wean themselves from, from Ubuntu or Canonical. They're, they're stuck on there. Uh, but it is a, a, a huge uh, shot across the bow between Snap and Flatpak. I just wish they'd both die. Well, it's it's going to be good <laughs> news for Snaps, though, right? Because most people are not going to go, well, i got to install Flatpak. Especially new users. New users are just going to go, yeah. I guess this Snaps thing is what I use to do this with, and they'll just get used to it. It was kind of like Internet Explorer back in the day, right? Like, I just got so used to having it with every new machine I spun up that that was my browser. That's the browser experience I'm looking for, and it's a great way to kind of, like, in, indoctrinate people into yeah. that world is by just making it the default and, and I'm not keeping you from using Flatpak, but it's not, it's not there. You, you got to have the wherewithal to get it and you want, you got to have to want to do it. Yeah. I, I'm worried about becoming one of those, one of those people like with system D, right? Yeah. System D came out and there's people Back in my it, day. <laughs> and they, and they switched distros cause they didn't want system D. Right. Yeah. I don't like snaps. And so whenever I install Ubuntu, the first thing I do is disable snaps, but Canonical, they are pushing harder and harder. They've already taken some packages where the the .deb file that they're using for regular updates is now older, outdated compared to the snap. Like they want you to use the snap. And so at some point you're going to be like forced to use it or jump ship. Now you're saying that the biggest problem with it is that those libraries do not get updated in a regular cycle and it kind of makes you behind and sure. maybe even a security issue and so on and so forth. Do you think that with more users utilizing those snaps that that will start to kind of become a sore spot for more people. And then that voice will get louder and then they'll, they'll modify their process so that that is something that they are doing more regularly. So I, 
I would like to think that's the case, but it's been years. Yeah. And what we've seen instead is that uh, Ubuntu or Canonical, they have done a, a good job of trying to sandbox the snaps more and more and more mm. so that the apps are restricted to their own little execution space. So an attacker could get in and compromise that one app, but not jump right. over to another They're one. In a walled garden. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm not happy with it. I, I get what they're trying to do. And in this world of containers and the future of computing, I, I get it. I, I see what they're trying to do. I just uh, am not a big fan. I don't like it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. I don't like it. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll, we'll go ahead and leave the land of Linux for now before we get too riled up. Let's go ahead and take a look at what's going on in, I don't know, what would you call it? Cloud, cloud country? Cloud. Yeah. yeah. Cloud, cloud country. country. Yeah. We'll call it that. Cloud country. We're in cloud country We don't now. fail like that Linux thing. <laughs> So we've got an article here from The Register. It says, VMware's Bitnami starts packaging apps for ARM CPUs. So if I'm understanding this correctly, Bitnami is adding support for ARM-powered cloud instances, mainly due to customer demand because they, they cost less. It's, yeah. The prices are better, basically. Yep. So, you know, Bitnami has been around a while. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember how long. been around a long time. They were independent. They got acquired. Uh, so they're part of VMware's group. But Bitnami does something really neat, right, which is they create container packaged versions of web applications that we need. So, for example, if you want to stand up a WordPress server, you could bring up a Linux box, install the requirements, copy in the WordPress file, set all the permissions, like, you know, jump through all of these hoops. Or you could just grab one of Bitnami's Docker containers and bam, you got WordPress up and running, right? Uh, it's got everything that it needs. It's already configured. You just need to enable an SSL certificate and you're good to go, right? So Bitnami provides a really neat service. And because they're now a part of VMware's group, they've got the funding to be able to continue to develop these. And it does make it way easier to build like test environments, or if you just want to fire something up on your laptop to mess around with, the Bitnami images are great, but you can roll them into production if you really want to go crazy. They're out there, but so far, the majority of their images, and if you go on Docker Hub, the majority of what's in Docker Hub is really focused on running on x86 CPUs, so 32-bit and 64-bit Intel. Well, AWS, even Microsoft Azure, they've been rolling out ARM instances. And because ARM processors have lower power requirements, they usually charge less. But if I want to fire up WordPress in a container and the container image isn't built for ARM, it won't deploy. So it's nice to see Bitnami adopting that now so that you don't really have to care about the architecture underneath. You can, you can grab these lower cost ARM instances and throw the same software on there using these containers and you're in business. So it, it's pretty neat. Hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing, I mean, uh, the idea, I, I'm, it's obvious that uh, ARM is, is the future, right? When it comes to so much less overhead and everything that we need. We just, I just need things to run this little thing. I don't need a whole full-fledged system. We got yeah. ARM is coming out, it's doing really great. And then if we start seeing other competitors really working themselves up to being um, truly competition to Apple Silicon, that's gonna get interesting. Right. I can't wait to see that in cloud environments to where, oh, yeah, we can compete with that Apple Silicon because I obviously are like super, super performant. Yeah. Uh, on my M2 here, it just runs like a crazy person. But I'd love to see more support. So Bitnami bringing this over here ought to, ought to make my life a whole lot easier. You know, interesting thing Apple did is, you know, their, their CPU is not actually an ARM CPU. Really? They just licensed the ARM instruction set. So oh. it's completely proprietary Apple Silicon under the hood, but because they use the ARM instruction set, everything ARM runs. You talk to it in the same language, right? Makes sense. And it, it does make sense. They've done a good job with it. Uh, 
when you look at like a Raspberry Pi or whatever, it's running a, a true ARM processor right. on it. So not just the instruction set, but the um, architecture, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I use the right That word. makes sense, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm curious to see if Intel, I, I would imagine Intel is working right now on... <laughs> like a man possessed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> can, you know, can we create an Intel processor that accepts both instruction sets? Ooh. Right? Because if you could accept ARM instructions and, and Intel? Intel instructions, oh, like yeah. you could kill it. Uh, but the power saving is you don't have on Intel yet. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. That, that'll that be a, a battle probably for the next two to three years. It's so interesting to see such a, like an old powerhouse such as Intel start to kind of start struggling in this space and these new technologies are coming and kind of like starting to push it out of the way yeah uh their ceo gave a, a quote just sometime last year where he was saying look you know our company's made some missteps we we screwed up the five nanometer uh yeah uh die that they were trying to build they just didn't keep up with the competition and they said look we should be better at building cpus than some fruit company out in california and i thought that was really <laughs> funny because it, it's true like Apple's yeah. not a CPU company, but... And they're killing it. And Intel is a CPU company. They should be right. doing better. So um, they're making changes. We'll see what happens. I can't wait. Daniel, yeah, no, you made the comment that ARM is the future. Is that... Is that sure. you, you, would, you would believe that? Yeah. Okay. So. So, so would you say ARM is afoot? <laughs> ARM is afoot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sorry. ladies and gentlemen. We not help sorry. ourselves. Collectively, we're, we're going to start getting yeah. complaints. We need <laughs> the, the rim shot, the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna start writing it. You made like. me think of uh, Ernest P. World's dog. Oh. Rim shot. Rim shot. Oh, I wish His, I, he had a Jack Russell. I wish I could understand. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could understand. You, you haven't seen Ernest Scared Stupid? I don't think I've ever heard One of those the greatest words films in, that order in my life. It's like a ever Halloween made. must. Yeah, absolutely. Ernest Scared Stupid. Ernest Scared Stupid. Milak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have. I'm speechless. No idea. <laughs> I have no words. Wow, that's, okay, yeah. I'll add it to the list. Aliens what, and then Ernest Scared Stupid. What do you watch at Halloween? Yeah. Uh, NPR. <laughs> I listen to it. That, that will frighten the hell out of you. <laughs> I just listen to it. <laughs> and, I, and I go to bed well-rested. Uh, or I get up well-rested. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ernest Scared Stupid and Garfield Halloween. Yep, absolutely. And the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Pumpkin. Right? That's like, that's the, okay. That absolutely. is familiar to me. I feel Focus like Pocus is another one that most people like to watch. I've never seen that one. but I, It's, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Hmm, okay. Well then, on that note, I, I've got now a whole new list of movies that I can watch. It's not even Halloween season. We're it's not even Halloween. We're over here. It's middle, of, middle of the spring or winter. But now we I'm... recorded this episode last October. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just in case we were all Just killed by case. an asteroid. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break really quick. We're going to wrap up the tech news segment of our show. And in that break, I will go ahead and get started watching those movies. Uh, Smart so, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and get started on that. And we'll be right back with more Technado. We are counting down the days until Technado's 300th episode, and we want you to be part of it. So head over to technado.com. You can record a video message that will air as part of our 300th episode, which is going to stream live on Tuesday, March 21st at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as a bonus thank you from the Technado crew, we will select three lucky listeners to receive a special gift from us to commemorate the 300th. The deadline to send in your videos is March 16th. We couldn't have come this far without you, and we just can't wait to have you join the party. Welcome back for more Technado. We're going to be jumping into some security news in this part of the show. My personal favorite kind of news. I don't know about you guys. So are you okay if I just jump right into this first one? Sure. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay. So this first one, we're going to take a look at who ended up behind bars. 
the law and you'll go to jail. Sorry, I had a frog in my throat there. Okay. So this article comes from the Hacker News. It says, Dutch police arrest three hackers involved in massive data theft and extortion scheme. These guys are younger than me. I think two 21-year-olds and an 18-year-old. So younger than me. And look at the big things that they're doing in their lives. Uh, From over in the Netherlands, believed to have stolen personal data from tens of millions of people. And I think the investigation for this has been ongoing for two years. And they were only arrested recently. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it, this is a, a great example of a, a couple of uh, uh, enterprising young men, I guess. <laughs> like one of them was like 16 when this went down, right? Running entrepreneurs <laughs> yeah. who uh, started targeting companies and used various means to compromise them to get ransomware and other things installed, malware, to be able to leech away data, which they would then use to extort the companies. And so they were stealing information on tens of thousands of people but it really just affecting a handful of companies. And then they would look to extort them for ransoms between 100 and 700,000 pounds. So, or 100,000. Right, per. Oh, yeah, per. 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 Yep. So, uh, so pretty pretty big deal there. And we we see things like this all the time. You hear about people getting hit by ransomware and they want X amount of Bitcoin and so on. Uh, and you don't hear about them getting arrested. And we, we always hear the narrative of, oh, nope, Russian state hackers, right? <laughs> uh, it's the Chinese. But in this case, it was the Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> so, no one ever expects the Dutch. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it, people from the Netherlands have the coolest last names. So this was Zandvoort in yeah. Rotterdam. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so they were able to track them down, mainly because spreading ransomware is actually pretty easy. But transparently getting or getting payment in a way that's not traceable is very, very difficult. And so in this case, it was that extortion effort that led to them getting caught. But they they had compromised companies like RDC, Shell, Ticket Counter, and a number of other ones that are out there. Uh, and so it was just nice to see these guys get caught and thrown in jail. That's right. And welcome to prison, boys, where you'll have a luxurious stay in a unique setting of the black (laughs) dolphin prison (laughs) now what was interesting about this uh, article was you know we kind of of course everything they did was was horrible they should have done it i don't know where their parents were but something went wrong in these children's upbringing and led them to this life of crime and they now have to share a cell with somebody that's probably not going to be very nice to them there's that but they were extremely intelligent right the fact that they would it looked like they said, this is the sense of nature of the plundered information means that it could be used to carry out social engineering attacks of various kinds of fraudulent activities. And that it seemed like they were, they were using the information that they were gaining from the hacks so that they could hack other things. And that's how they kept this going. Like, they were like, oh, well, this information, I bet it's going to be somewhere else, right? And then tried and true methods of things like password spraying, credential stuffing. Like, I wonder, if they're using that password here, we just cracked that. Does this person exist anywhere? And you do a little OSINT, you find, oh, yeah, they're, they're somewhere. You're going to find the same people in a lot of different pools and then go, well, now I can use that to gain access to that data. And now I can hack them and I can extort money from them. So they just, they really figured out how to cascade their hacks into no, more hacks. Yeah. I wonder, did they mention how they, uh, what, what finally led to them getting arrested? Like what, what, what was the final straw? A broken that was like- taillight. <laughs> for, a, for a split second, for a split second, you had me. I was like, no, because yeah. it says it was an ongoing. They heard the muffled tones from yeah. the trunk. <laughs> so I I wanted to learn more, but uh, the the article that provided you know, the article from the uh, 
Politi, Politi, I don't know how they Politi, say it, um, was was not written in English. And so uh, I wasn't able to get more out of it than that. You should have thrown uh, it in chat GBT and said, translate this for me. Oh, yeah, probably would have done that, right? Oh, no, because it's a current article, right? It, yeah, but you, only does you would stuff. just say, no, it only knows about old stuff. It knows the Dutch language. Oh, all right. He would just say, oh, translate this in there. into English, yeah. Well, I'll have to remember that next time. But, uh, but yeah, nine times out of ten when they catch these guys, it's, it's during the exchange of funds, right? Because a lot of people think yeah. that Bitcoin is invisible and untraceable, and it's not. It's, like, very visible. Um, and, and other ways of exchanging currency are typically how they get traced. I remember when I first started hearing about, like, bit, when people would ask for Bitcoin and stuff in these ransomware attacks. And But before I knew what it was, it was I was like, God, why is it always Bitcoin with these guys? What is the obsession? Now I understand why it might be a little bit easier. But yeah. at the time, I was like, God, you guys are obsessed. What is your obsession <laughs> with this Bitcoin? Yeah. It can't people, be that good. So the people that like Bitcoin, like, they're not cyber criminals or whatever. They mm-hmm. just think it's the future of currency, digital currency. With uh, It makes it less uh, easily taxed. Right, they they like that idea as well. Very zealous about mm-hmm. the idea of cryptocurrency. It's interesting stuff, just the technology mm-hmm. behind it and everything. But like Don said, if you're if you're under the impression that you can get away with transferring all this Bitcoin and no one will ever be the wiser, you probably need to rethink <laughs> that strategy. Uh, do you know about uh, Bitcoin mixers? Uh, unfamiliar. No mixers. Oh, the, so there was one. I think it was called Typhoon or something like that. Where uh, what a mixer does is you you send your Bitcoin in. And it breaks it up into you know smaller portions and mixes it together with other people's Bitcoin transactions and then redistributes them back out with a minor service fee. It's a hundred percent money laundering. Yeah, like that's, that's exactly right. what it is. But it's designed to try and mask that trail so people can't follow where the Bitcoin is going. Right. And uh, so there was a, a service that was doing this and they got shut down. But their source code got leaked out like. They say unintentionally, but you know it's absolutely un- yeah. or intentional. Um, and so you can get a, it's on a GitHub re- repo, you can pull it down, but there are mixers that are out there. Uh, I understand the original intent of cryptocurrency, right? Decentralized finance. They didn't want the government to be able to control the currency. Right. But the reality is it's like purpose built for <laughs> criminal activity. And and it's just you can't ignore that. Well, is it purpose built for it just happens to do a really good job for criminal activity? So the original person or people that created it, the Japanese name of Sakamoto or something like that, um, is is not revealing himself. right? Right. So what does that tell you? I have no idea. It doesn't tell me anything. That's that's a logic leap, Don. Maybe maybe it wasn't <laughs> not created. that much of a oh, logic I, leap. I, I'm not going to ascribe to <laughs> to malfeasance what I can just just you know explain away with ignorance or or buffoonery. I, I suppose so. Yeah. But uh, but the rampant criminal activity that happens in in some of these systems and you don't have to look too far beyond like FTX and all these other ones that are going under with, you know, no financial controls. And I will say the people that have been like all about crypto, a lot of them have been super shady people, right? Absconding with millions of people's dollars. And, and it's not, (laughs) not everyone, right? Right, It's not everyone. I I don't want to use hyperbole for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's, there's plenty of legit purposes and. Do you think they'll ever come up with a cryptocurrency that is good for public trade and commerce? 
I don't know. Like you can go to the gas station and buy things with cryptocurrency. You sure can. Yeah. In some places. Like it just depends on whether or not they accept it. Hmm. It would be nice to have a unified currency across the planet. Yeah. Right. Think about how much money. Uh, Here comes Don. He's one world army. I know. Uh, (laughs) New world order. (laughs) How much money and resources we waste every year due to currency exchanges and, and, you know, like all this financial Even even the printing of money. Yeah. That's a huge, like, how much does that cost for us to, to do? Yeah. As a thing, right? And then you got to worry about um, counterfeit stuff, right? So a, a cryptocurrency does seem like it has some benefits in the future if we can kind of like make it work right. Yeah. Or we could do like uh, Star Trek and become space communists. There you go. <laughs> that was like Gene Roddenberry's like ideal future, right? It was like yeah. this huge communist utopia. That's basically it. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us for this episode of Finance and Fraud. With We're going <laughs> to go ahead and move on. But that is interesting. I'm going to actually look more into Bitcoin mixers later because you first said that and I thought, is that like an event for people that like yeah. Bitcoin we to just get together and chat? Drink my time and talk and maybe. That's, that's the first thing that came into my head. It's the so. Catalina wine. It's yeah, the, the, yeah. Cat, yeah. <laughs> Catalina <laughs> Bitcoin mixer. So that's, that's a new vocab word for me. So I'll, I'll look into that a little bit later. So, but justice is served over in the Netherlands. But uh, here in the U.S., some unfortunate news coming to light for some major media outlets. Let's take a look and see who got pwned. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! So this article comes to us from Bleeping Computer. It says that News Corp says state hackers were on its network for two years. So News Corporation is the parent company of Wall Street Journal and New York Post, I think, among others. Uh, And there was a breach back in 2022, but it's now coming to light that it's the same attackers that gained access, I think, three years ago, February 2020. So that's really the news here, right? Is that this is they're now making the connection. This is the same guys. Yeah. And you, you didn't mention their biggest property, which is Fox News. Uh, oh, that's true. News Corp's yeah. biggest asset, uh, as far as I'm aware, at least. It's huge. Uh, very big. Very, very big. <laughs> it's, huge. it's the biggest. That I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in the in the last election cycle, uh, there were hackers very active, right? And, and remember, there was the whole bit about um, Hillary Clinton's email server that yeah. got breached. And the Hunter and, Biden laptop. And, yeah. yeah. And I mean, so just just tons of stuff on, on both sides of the aisle, right? So, so Republicans and Democrats... Uh, Equally, uh, although I think we saw a little more press on the attacks on Democrat. De- I, don't know. I don't know. I don't have a number for that. But yeah. It felt like it. <laughs> it felt like but, it. Uh, but here's another one that shows like attackers are actively getting into the media as well. And, you know, here in the U.S., we don't have state run media. And, and so we, we like to brag about that sometimes. But you did mention the, NPR earlier. Yeah, I'm just kidding. It is feels like it funded somehow. Yeah. Nationalist <laughs> public radio. Nationalist, yeah. The people's radio. <laughs> so uh, great. Now we're never going to get a contract. <laughs> <on NPR. laughs> I thought we were going to be the next great tech oh, show. Oh, we just got, uh, listen, we got to poke some fun everywhere, right? Come on. So, uh, so yeah, but here it just shows that attackers were in there. Now, what what were they doing in there? Because if you think about it, how, how are you going to make money off of Bitcoin this? Bitcoin mining. Well, <laughs> the, the, the theory is that if it was state-sponsored and they were in there, they could be watching for the uh, anonymous... Uh, uh, Shoot, not contributors. What's the right word? When they sources. get a uh, anonymous, oh, anonymous sources. sources. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You get these unconfirmed reports, anonymous sources, or whatever that 
if you were a state operative, you would want to know where those leaks came from, right? Remember when the the Supreme Court ruling on uh, overturning Roe Ro v. Yeah. Wade when that came out, yeah. that, that was leaked. Leaks, out. yeah. And they did a whole thing trying to track down the leaker. Well, you know, if the attackers were in the media system, they'd be able to figure that out and potentially take some really dangerous actions. So, you know, we talk a lot about the utility grid and how. The, the water and power grid here in the U.S. is not well protected. It's a fragile ecosystem, isn't it? <laughs> and the media is right alongside it. So they were in there for two years. Daniel, you said, what's the average uh, time for IOC? Uh, nine months, 212 days, 220 days, somewhere around there. So this one's this one's above average. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a it's concerning. Yeah, definitely concerning, and especially if when you start looking at the article and talks about the information that they know that they had access to, that is no bueno right there, right? It was it was basically all the bad stuff that you would not want people yeah, to Yeah, it was get. like financial information, medical information, passport numbers, all yes. the whole shebang. The whole shebang. This was a veritable smorgasbord. A cornucopia. Yeah, a cornucopia. <laughs> a plethora. A myriad, if yes. you will. Yes, we will get rid of that word of day calendar ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> I, what immediately popped in my head, it's going to be all movie references today. Of course. Do you remember Charlotte's Web? Yes. That and one I've seen, yes. <laughs> that one I'm familiar I've with seen. that one. Uh, there's the thing where the, the rat is at a circus eating the like trash food. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a song about Templeton. it being a, a, yep. a buffet, a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. He, like, he runs yeah. through a lot of those words. That's, that's, that's it. What I was that was that's what we were doing. There we go. Mm, Good Charlotte's old Web. <laughs> He was, he was kind of a turd in that book, wasn't he? <laughs> he was kind of a, like, I thought I remember him being like kind of a morally gray character in that book. I think he was, right? He probably, he? Yeah, yeah. He was. I'm yeah. trash talking a rat here. <laughs> podcast. Not a fake real. rat. Not, not even a real one. Rats not don't have the real. best reputation already. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not helping their yeah. case. Yeah. So yeah, it looks like the News Corp, one of the things they said was there was no reports of fraud or identity theft in association with this information, but they were like, well, these attackers might be associated with the Chinese government, and so there might be some espionage going on. I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah. no no fraud or anything like that going on, but I feel like this is worse, almost. So mm, this is a little concerning. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of funny. We've, we've been over here talking about how we our favorite pet to kick is China, or not China, but uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. But China is very active in their cyber espionage, their state-sponsored activities. They are, like... If not, even more, honestly. Yeah. They they do a lot of big-time hacks. I hear they have balloons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I almost feel like they're going, let's just see what we can get away with. <laughs> let's, just, let's, let's just start. Like, the most outrageous thing we can do and just see what they do. Let's just see. They got a big whiteboard in, yeah. the, in, in their office. Just, yeah. Just they, what they, do, they put things on it. They throw darts at it yeah. blindly. Yeah. Okay. Balloon over Montana. Cool. Make it happen. <laughs> Spin it up. That would be a lot more entertaining if yeah. politics were like that. Innovative, right? Yeah, yeah. See what happens. I guess maybe maybe that's the world we live in now, yeah. right? Where uh, if you watch what's going on in the UN, this is going to turn into a whole political show, <laughs> uh, where you've got Russia invading Ukraine with yeah. allegedly penalties happening because of that, but they seem to be doing all right. <laughs> So you know, if that's the litmus test of what you can get away with, then well, correct me if I'm wrong, but they kind of they kind of coupled up with old China there, right? Yeah. The, the the BRICS thing, right? Mm. Yeah. 
Yep. So we'll see what happens uh, for us as technology people. It just means these attacks are going to keep happening. Yeah. We got to be on the lookout, and they might. You know, I'm going to go nefarious. They might already be in Ooh. your system. So. When robots come for your prescription pills, and they and will, they will. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean it's not happening. That's right. Yeah. So wh- whether or not it is China behind that, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see. Hopefully, we don't see that too soon in, in our Deja News segment. Hopefully, it's there's not more bad <laughs> news week. that comes to light. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. But speaking of which, I had really hoped to not read the word LastPass in headlines anytime <laughs> soon again, but it seems like that was just wishful thinking. So we're going to head into our next segment, which is Deja News. Did it work? Did it work? It didn't work. I didn't tap it hard enough. We have our producer going in. He's going to push the button for me. Deja News. I didn't push it aggressively. You see how Denzel's looking at you? Right there? <laughs> he's, he's, he's like, listen. He is upset. That's not, yeah, I haven't, whatever movie that is, I haven't seen that movie either. Deja so, vu. Yeah, let's, we'll. Don't feel bad. I had not seen it up until like six months ago or whatever. Oh, good. That yeah. makes me feel better about myself. Anyway, moving on to the subject matter at hand. <laughs> Predator. This are. <laughs> I am not. This article comes to us from Ars Technica. LastPass says employees' home computer was hacked and corporate vault taken. So as if things weren't bad enough for LastPass, an attacker was able to hack into an employee's computer. They stole credentials, I think, from a senior DevOps engineer, and they got access to (laughs) encryption and decryption keys, database backups, basically all the contents of this corporate data vault, which is so fun. Yeah, yeah. All right, we we have covered the LastPass breach in multiple episodes, and I don't want to beat a dead horse on this and keep going into it. Um, What are you doing with that baseball bat, Don? (laughs) (laughs) Last time we covered covered it you'll probably remember me saying something like just when you thought it couldn't get worse for last pass <laughs> it gets worse well it got even more worse even in this worse. latest one i feel like two years from now we're going to be doing an article remember last pass and how i had that bad breach they're back in the news <laughs> yeah yeah i i actually can't imagine it getting much worse than where it's at right now because we're finally getting some real details on what actually happened and the story is bizarre right when when I look at internet services, services like PayPal, I'm always shocked that PayPal has been in business for over 20 years. That's crazy. And hasn't had a, a breach that affected its financial systems. Like, that's amazing, yeah. that kind of track record. But they're very security conscious. They do financial transactions, so they're very focused on that. LastPass, being a security company, you think would be focused on the utmost security but this is a textbook case of not practicing what you preach mm. and you know creating rules and guidelines for other people and not applying them to yourself. So it turns out that one of their engineers, and, and Sophie, you said just a DevOps engineer, right? So th- this is not some random engineer. So this is like one of the top employees in the organization. I think he was one of only four. One of four people that had access to this S3 bucket. Yes. And so, like, I mean, that that's a a high level employee, somebody who is important in the organizational structure for uh, not not like you. Right. (laughs) Right. right. Well, you know, once you get high enough, you get to CEOs who have no access. Yeah, yeah. We can't we can't give you access. Yeah. But uh uh but this is this is definitely somebody who should know better. Yeah. Right who was using their home computer, so not a company-issued machine, using a home computer and unlocking the sensitive, secret, corporate vault for LastPass. Now, 
just doing that is is kind of bad in its own way, right? Because your home computer is not secured to the same level as your work computer. But what made this worse was that when the LastPass breach happened, the attackers found out about this person. They knew this person existed because they had the company details, the company employee details. So they were able to target this individual specifically. On the person's home computer, they had Plex. Plex, the media server that we've talked about numerous times. I'm a huge yeah. Plex user. Oh, I, I love it. I use it every day. I, I don't have it installed on my own workstation. I have it running on a little server. But, yeah, I don't uh, know why you would have it on your, like, I, your, yeah, he, your working computer that you use. You he, build a little server and let it do the work. He had it installed locally, and uh, uh, Plex had a breach yep. that affected their user database. And it's kind of easy to draw some dots here or draw lines between the dots to say, the attackers knew about this person as an employee of LastPass. They found credentials from breaching another website, and they were able to exploit a remote code execution in Plex to be able to gain access and effectively control this person's machine. They installed a keylogger, and the next time that DevOps engineer did their MFA authentication and unlocked the corporate vault, the attackers were in. And so they now had access to all the deep secrets that they needed to be able to access LastPass's infrastructure, and they could basically do whatever they wanted. And they proceeded to do that for quite some time without being noticed because they had legit credentials at that point. And so it, it didn't show up in the logs. Well, it did. They just looked like normal access. And that's where we end up today. Yeah, that's always fun because when they gain access to your system and they have full access as you, this is what makes security really hard. Everything you do looks like it's something that you are doing, mm -hmm. right? The log doesn't really betray, like, this was some random thing that came out of nowhere with some random user. Nope. It was you. You accessed it. It looks like normal activity that you would do. So it's really difficult to kind of find that needle in that haystack because it's really a needle in a stack of needles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So from basically August 12th to August 26th, the attackers were focused on getting these credentials. They did get them. Uh, they gained access to the company backups and, and exfiltrated those. And so it's, it's, you know, Don, we, we were talking about this before the, before the show started. And it seems like, you know, if you're looking at the timeline of the last pass debacle, as yeah. we'll call it, right, you see some very pointed tradecraft going against LastPass. And obviously, this is not some random hacker out in the wild going, hey, I found some access to LastPass. Let's go in there and pilfer their pockets and, and have a good time. It continued to have m many stages, very uh, specific things that they would go after. Obviously, this person is one of four. How many employees are at LastPass, right? Mm. Probably more than you know five. So the odds were low that if they randomly had access through someone's Plex system through a breach that they had, oh, well, now I'm in the LastPass. And then uh, it just so happens that all this other LastPass horribleness is occurring at the close to around the same time. I don't think it's a logical leap to say, you know, this is a very pointed, intelligent attack for a specific reason that we probably don't know about yet and won't learn about until a little mm. bit. Will we have another day on yeah, yeah, segment? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just be like, welcome it. to our LastPass segment. Yeah. <laughs> just make yeah. it a, a regular recurring thing. So, you know, at our at our day job, yeah. um, I oversee technology for the organization, and, and we have our corporate technology team that runs our Microsoft 365 environment. And, and because a lot of what we use is web-based, things like 
Salesforce and Office 365 is web-based, right? People can go to their home computer and log into these systems and use it, right? And and how do we how do we stop that? It, it's actually kind of a cat and mouse game to try and stop people from using their home computers. And I, I battle that all the time, but that's much lower risk than LastPass, a security company. And they, you know, to, to know that their highest level employees are using home computers with unsanctioned software and, and accessing it, like that just really undermines the the trust we can have in that kind of a company. So uh, there are some people out there saying, you know, we should stick with LastPass, give them a chance. Anybody could get hacked. You know, if you switch to one password, one password could get hacked next year. But this stuff to me looks like just willful disregard of mm. security best practices. Yeah, when you're using, you know, the uh, the cipher isn't strong enough, right? The iterations that they use to to uh, rehash, you know, rehash the thing so that it actually, yes, is, that whole iteration right? mess, like that, that right there, that alone should have been like, why are you so far beyond behind your competitors on being able to encrypt these things in a, in a safe and usable way? It doesn't make any sense. Just do the thing. And that right there should make one of people go, well, if they're if they're going to drag their feet and kind of get lazy on the encryption that they're using, well, then I'll just go use somebody else. Bitwarden looks like it's got a nice thing going on. What's happening there? You know, they are doing, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of iterations of the same cipher. So, yeah. you know, um, one criticism we, we talked about this in the earlier episode was that uh, their default number of iterations was one hundred thousand one hundred. Yeah. But like my personal account was nowhere near that. Yeah, it was it, like four. It, it, was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was five thousand something. Yeah, you know, it, it, was it was super low. Number. Yeah. Um, and the uh, OWASP folks came out and said, you know, it should be six hundred thousand. Right. And you know, significantly higher. Well, LastPass sent a letter out to people who were affected. I actually got this as a user and as a uh, an admin, uh, saying that yeah, you know, now now we recommend you go to six hundred thousand, and for new users starting today, it'll be six hundred thousand. You should tell your users to change it to six hundred thousand as well, or you can just do it for me. Yeah, and and I get that they don't have our passwords on their system, so they can't go and just change it there. Right. But they could push an update to their plugin or, right. or their app or whatever on your desktop so that the next time you unlock, that when it relocks, it goes ahead and, and bumps the iteration. They could do it. So they're still not putting in that effort. I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Weird. Every time we talk about LastPass, because obviously they're now like kind of like the black sheep of password oh, managers yeah. now. But every time we talk about them, there's a little part of me that, I mean, because they've got so many employees. You know there are those employees that were just, they were following directions. They were doing what they were supposed to do. And now it's like, oh, crap. Not, you know, now you've got this big target on your back like yeah. now you're one of those last pass guys yeah. hmm. i do wonder let's take this lead engineer right yeah. so one of four people that have access to the s3 bucket I, I looked it up apparently LastPass has over 550 employees okay so i mean you know four people of 550 that's a that's a top person yeah um i wonder if they had a policy that said you're not allowed to use your home computer right i think they would so let, let's assume that they did for a minute okay and this guy did use his home computer. So what is the right next step of action? Is it criminal charges against that employee for being negligent? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, this this led to a pretty significant breach. I guess, hang on. I got to back up. It right? would be civil Violating charges, Violating company right? policy is, is not, not a criminal. Crime. Crime. Yeah, yeah. Right? It would be civil actions for, like, loss. They would have to sue him for loss, mm. defamation, you know. But... Uh, 
if I were him, my first defense would be like, this is a security company. They didn't stop me. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that, I mean, I don't know anything about their internal structure, but I highly doubt LastPass participates in bring your own device. So I would have to assume that that's part of their policy, right? Like, I mean, can, can we do things like um, where you can define which devices are allowed to log into these systems and which not through some sort of like either third party or maybe Microsoft or whatever. Yeah, you know, so so back when back when people worked in the office, yeah. you could do IP restrictions and that right. was nice. But once work from home started, it became a nightmare. And so the the best thing to do is to control it with a VPN, right? Mm. To say like I'm going to authorize the IP address of our headquarters right. or wherever then you our go VPN back to the whole IP is. control. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, you control who your VPN client gets deployed to, only to company-issued machines with the right certificate. Right. Uh, so now they can go home with their company machine, it VPNs in back to headquarters, and now they can access the S3 vault and so on. Uh, we actually do that with ours. Like when I'm at home, I can't I can't even I mean I can I can log in to the AWS account, but I can't do anything. Like it won't yeah. even render the the control panel for me. Nice. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> I'm not, my IP address doesn't match what's here. So, right. you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you would assume a company like LastPass would be doing. Well, you know, they say happens when you assume. You're yeah. right. Every time. Every single time. <laughs> every single time. You are always right. <laughs> Well, real quick, I do want to mention that Technito is sponsored by ACI Learning and IT Pro. So if you are on the Technito website or if you want to go ahead and jump over there, you can look at that big orange button that says sponsored by. And if you click on that, it'll take you to the IT Pro website. So if you want to support the podcast, check out those courses. You can use the promo code TECHNATO30 to get a discount on your IT Pro membership. And if you do visit the Technato website, you'll see, like I think we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, we have our 300th episode coming up. Exciting. So if you do want to submit a video to be part of that 300th episode, you can do it from the Technato website. And we just need to have those videos by March 21st for a chance for you to be featured. So if you'd like to participate, we would love to have you. And if you can't get enough, you can also check out ACI Learning. They've got some webinars and some live on social events you can take a look at. Those recordings will live at itpro.tv slash webinars. And I believe they also live on YouTube if you want to check them out there. We've actually got one coming up in March hosted by Daniel Lowry himself. That's this guy. So, yeah, that's him. Him over there. So if you want to see more of him, so sorry. can't imagine why, <laughs> but you have the option to do that. I'll be there as well, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like assisting. So uh, I'm like, I guess it's like a You're very almost. important I'm because like, you get all the questions. Oh, sure. You're oh, fielding sure, all yeah. the questions. Oh, yeah. yeah. I field the questions to make sure you don't get any weird ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, we've got International Women's Month coming up, I believe. Uh, the day this episode airs, it's March 2nd. So happy International Women's Month. And uh, ACI Learning is going to be releasing some interviews all month long. If you check back every Wednesday, there will be a new one out with a woman in cybersecurity or audit or IT. So the first one of those came out on March 1st with Jax Scott. She's a really cool lady. I actually got to interview her and speak to her, and she's got a great story. So check that out if you want to learn more about her and how she got to be in cybersecurity. And we're also going to have uh, some interviews coming out with some edutainers from ACI Learning as well, yours truly included. So you can check those out, not to self-plug or anything, but you can check those out. And with that said, we want to thank Don and Dan for breaking down this week's tech and security news. Appreciate all that you do. Well, you know, what I want to do now is I want to collect those weird questions. Yes. And we, can, we can bring them into Technado. We We've can do got a, whole a question episode. from a B. Bill. <laughs> he wants to know what color your pillowcase is. Yeah. I'm not really sure what. <laughs> yeah, I'll put those in a spreadsheet for you. How about that? Yeah. Well, thank you for breaking all that down for us. And uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Technado. We'll see you next week.